0: Hello and welcome to episode 18 of the Replacement Level Podcast. I'm Ross Carey. Thanks for listening. Still to be joined right now by Ben Badler. Ben is a writer for Baseball America. You can give him a follow on Twitter at Ben Badler. Ben, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today.
1: Oh, thanks for having me on, Ross.
0: Well, Ben, let's start at the beginning, I guess. Tell me what initially attracted you to baseball in the first place.
1: Oh, wow. That's a good question. I guess, uh, you know, growing up, I just was immediately drawn to, I think, probably baseball, football, and, and basketball uh, the most. And then, uh, you know, o- over time, uh, you know, growing up and, and going up through through school, uh, you know, baseball kind of grew on me more and more, and that, that really became uh, my passion. Just, uh, uh, you know, everything about the game, you know, watching the game, uh, analyzing the game, playing the game, although the, the last part was, was very brief uh, for me, uh, but uh, there, there's just so many aspects, you know, about the game and, and ways to appreciate it that, uh, you know, really drew me to the game and, and made me, you know, want to make a career out of it if I could, which which fortunately I've, I've been able to do.
0: Why the focus on amateur baseball and on scouting? Uh,
1: you know, it's, it's a part of the game that, you know, it's for, for whatever reason, it doesn't get as much uh, attention as uh, as it should, although I, I think that's changing, uh, but it's, you know, a lot of times it gets called the, you know, scouting gets called the lifeblood of an organization, and you know, it gets said a lot, but it's, it's really true. Um, you know, this is how, you know, any team can go out and uh, you know, it, it's not hard to figure out who the top major league free agents are on the market, but you know, being able to scout players in Latin America, you know, at 15, 16 years old, trying to figure out who's going to be the one to, you know, help your team, you know, eight, ten years down the road. That's that's a greater challenge, and, and it's a it's a lot more difficult. There's a lot more things that that go into it than, you know, going into the stands and and trying to break down a major league player or, or trying to use, you know, analytics to to evaluate a major league player. There's just a lot more that uh, goes into uh, evaluating players when they're they're that young, but it's it's important to be able to to build your organization through uh, you know through the through Latin America through the international free agent market, uh, and then obviously the, through the draft as well.
0: How have you seen the scouting process change over the past few years?
1: And I don't think it's changed too much on the draft side, but uh, certainly internationally, I think a lot of things have changed you know, the one thing that's changed is that you're you're starting to see more trainer organized leagues that have popped up in uh, the Dominican Republic especially, where you have, you know, I think in two thousand nine, so only it was only a few years ago, you had, you know, the, the implementation of a league called the Dominican Prospect League where a bunch of trainers get together and they've, you know, run these really well organized games, you know, the 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 kids fundamentals are still fairly raw, but uh, it sounds like things are, are getting better and, and the, the games are extremely well run. You have know, a league like that. Uh, you have the International Prospect League. You have some other you know, smaller trainers who get together and, and organize their players and games. Uh, you know, that's, still, that's part of the scouting process now. It used to be all just bringing kids into your academy or going out to the field where, where they play with their trainer. And scouting players that way, or going to see them at international tournaments like the World Youth Championships uh, for the 16 and under or 18 and under events. But uh, now these trainer-organized leagues, which you know never existed until a few years ago, uh, you know that's a that's a weekly event or, or sometimes bi-weekly event for for some of the scouts who uh, who live in the Dominican Republic to be able to go and, and evaluate these players. And it's just something that didn't exist a few years ago, but. Uh, I think has helped teams make better decisions and, and has had a pretty major impact on the, the scouting landscape down there.
0: This week, talk of an international draft has been in the news. What are your thoughts on what an international draft would do to the game?
1: I, mean, I, I think it, it depends on a lot of things. Uh, it depends on how they structure it. Is it going to be one draft where you just throw the, the American guys, or the, the guys from the United States and, and Canada and Puerto Rico? Uh, throw them all together with the U.S. guys, with a, or excuse me, with the high school and the college guys, and have them compete in the same draft with you know 16-year-old kids from the Dominican Republic and Venezuela. You know that's that's going to be very tough because you know, the Dominican kids and the Venezuelan guys they're not going to be able to compete uh, against you know a U.S. college junior. It's just you're not going to. Even if you have a, a guy who has just special, special talent like a Miguel Sano, unless you have somebody like that, a- almost none of these guys are going to be first round draft picks. If you're going to have to put them up against those kind of guys, they're just not as physically mature. They're not as developed. There's more, you know, they're, they're more raw in general uh, because of their age, because of the, their baseball backgrounds, um, and there's just more questions on them in, in terms of age, identification, things like that. Uh, that would that would really, really hurt them. But, you know, I think that there's ways that they could probably implement a draft that, you know, there, there's a lot of gloom and doom scenarios out there that, you know, oh, well, the draft killed baseball in Puerto Rico, uh, things like that. Uh, if you put it in the Dominican Republic, it's going to kill baseball in the Dominican Republic. You know, I, I don't necessarily buy that. I think there's ways to, to organize and structure a draft internationally uh, that, that actually could help baseball in the Dominican Republic and help baseball in, in Venezuela and some of these other countries. Uh, but uh, I'm not sure, it's not clear exactly yet how they're going to organize and how they're going to structure an uh, international draft. So, you know, a lot of it just depends on the organization and, and the structure and how they're going to try to implement it.
0: So you think there should be two drafts, essentially one draft like there is now and one draft for international prospects?
1: Yeah, I mean, if, if they do go to a draft I don't think a draft is necessarily the solution. I don't think that is, you know, baseball wants to keep bonuses down. And what they have now is essentially going to be a draft without calling it a draft where the teams that finish with the worst records have the most money to spend. The teams that finish with the best records the previous year have the least amount of money to spend on international players. And every team has bonus pools, and if they go over it, then they get, you know, penalized. If it's if it's over by a small amount, they're penalized with a tax. Uh, if they go over it by uh, a slightly higher, smaller amount, uh, then they're penalized by either uh, or they're penalized at this point by losing uh, the ability to sign a player for uh, for a certain amount the following year, or they would lose draft picks if, if we go to a draft. Uh, so it, it sort of works where we it, like it's a, like, almost like a draft without calling it a draft. And we'll, but the, the the benefit there for the players is that you know there's more flexibility. Um, you know the player can have more choice uh, over which team he wants to go to, and, and a team isn't necessarily, you know if you know if, if the if the Colorado Rockies, if you know if, if they finish with the record that they have again this year, that they're historically, not a team that spent huge amounts of money on international players but have had a, a I would say a very high level of success in the international market um, because they have very good scouts and, and are extremely good at identifying Latin American pitching uh, over the last decade under uh, Rolando Fernandez their director you know why should they be forced into paying a player uh, a huge amount of money just because he just because they have a high draft pick and he has a, a high slot amount so well, I think the systems they have now uh, creates more flexibility. Uh, but but if they do go to if if they do have to go to a draft, or they do decide to go to a draft, I think it would be a, a much better idea to have it be two separate drafts rather than trying to throw all the everybody together in, into one draft.
0: Are there concerns that if teams don't have exclusive access to signing players that they would develop, that they would not put the resources into those communities, that they would not build these academies in the Dominican, Dominican Republic, that they would not support new developments in Brazil or in China, wherever they may be trying to build them, that if they don't have exclusive access to sign the players they are developing, it would decentivize them from actually developing international prospects themselves? You
1: know, I, I could see where it might uh, disincentivize teams to try to build academies in new markets because then you might not have, uh, uh, you might not be able to sign a player immediately. And then, uh, you bring them into your system. Uh, whereas with the draft that that would obviously, uh, that would change things, but every team has an academy in the Dominican Republic, whether it's one that they own or one that they lease from somebody else. Um, so I, I don't think I don't think teams would you know, really close up shop in the Dominican Republic or anything like that. They still have to but they don't have to, but they all field uh, one or, or some of them field two teams in the Dominican Summer League. Uh, they have roster spots, they they need to, to feed and, and house those players. So I, I don't see teams, you know, evacuating their, their Dominican academies or, or closing up shop there by any means. So I, I don't think it would have a, a major effect on the uh, on the academies
0: in the Dominican Republic. Those are the existing academies. What about developing new ones in territories like Brazil?
1: Yeah, I mean that that would be the one thing that uh, might might slow teams down. Although you know, look, we, we don't have uh, you know we don't have a draft right now, and, and it's not like teams are rushing into you know Brazil or or many other countries right now to uh, to build academies either. Uh, you know, if, if anything, they're you know they're looking at Venezuela. I mean, that's a different situation because there's there's different factors there. But if anything teams are are pulling out of their academies uh, in Venezuela. So yeah, you know, if if uh, I, I could see maybe a, a team saying, well, we're on the fence about building an academy in some other country. You know, what's the point? Maybe we'll back out because there's there's a draft and it's not going to be as much of an advantage as as it would be if there isn't a draft. So I could see it uh, affecting that, but. Uh, but I, I don't see teams really uh, building too much uh, infrastructure in terms of, in terms of academies in, in other countries right now. So um, so I'm not sure how much of a, a major effect that would really have on, on changing anything from, from that
0: perspective. What is major league baseball trying to accomplish with the international draft?
1: I think first and foremost, they're, they're just trying to suppress bonuses Um Although, like I said before, what they've already done, at least on the books, is, is, they, is that they've already suppressed bonuses by implementing the new international signing bonus pools where every team, you know, for this signing period, is limited to a $2.9 million signing bonus pool. And, and then next year, we have, uh, or I should say this year, for beginning on July 2nd, we have the bonus pools based on the reverse order of winning percentage from the previous season. So... I guess I'm actually a little bit confused myself in terms of why MLB and Bud Seeley in particular seems to be so adamant about wanting to implement an international draft. But it's something that Bud Seeley clearly and publicly has stated that he thinks is inevitable, and he really seems to be pushing for. And it seems like that's one of the things, one of the last things he wants to do. As commissioner, and you know, historically, if Bud Sealy wants something done, it, it, it typically gets done. So, I, I mean, I would I would certainly I, – I wouldn't be surprised at all if this international draft does come uh, next year. But uh, but why they're, they're so adamant about it, I, I don't know. They, they want to suppress bonuses uh, and, and keep their costs down. I, I think the international draft could do that, but I think that the system that they have in place you know, right now already already
0: does that would an international draft end some of the corruption involved with international players uh, things like falsifying ages, having their bonuses get skimmed from the top even encourage ped use could an international draft help curb some of those things
1: you know I, I think it it would depend on how they structure it and it's it's kind of a it would be a complicated answer but in general, I don't I don't see the draft. You know, if, if you just put everybody into a draft rather than have the system now, I don't see, you know, I, I don't see a lot of players saying, well, all right, or the the people who I should but I should say the people who help the players change their ages and and change their identities. I don't see them saying, well, all right, now that there's a draft, we're we're all of a sudden going to you know stop changing ages and stop changing identities. Uh, that just doesn't. I, I I don't see how that would, uh, you know, suddenly alter the mind the mindset of, of those people. So I don't think a draft would be a, a major deterrent, unless you'd have to structure it in very specific ways, uh, in terms of how it would uh, really cut down on on much fraud. For the most part, I, I think it's just a way for MLB to try to clamp down on on the bonuses that have been going up and, and up and up
0: you are listening to Ben Badler you can give him a follow on Twitter at Ben Badler Ben Kyle Lose finally signed this offseason one of the holdups with him was the draft pick compensation attached to him why do we need draft pick compensation tied to free agents at all
1: uh, it's, it's kind of the same thing that we were you know, we were just we were just talking about uh, Roz, it's, it's uh, you know it, <laughs> one of the reasons that you know these draft picks Uh, are are attached to free agents is is just what you're saying is that it it keeps compensation down, uh, or excuse me, it keeps costs down for the owners. Uh, You know, I think part of it in in the case of of Loach is that he was just looking for more money than uh, the market would bear, but uh, the way that, you know, if you have a draft pick attached to a player, especially with the way the system is, is set up now where you're not just losing a draft pick, but you're losing draft bonus pool money that you can't get back if you don't have that draft pick. Whereas before, you know, maybe you lose a first-round draft pick and you make up for it in in the third round by a player who uh, slips to you in the third round either because of his, you know, signing bonus demands or or by, you know, some kind of under-the-table deal where you have with the player that uh, where he causes himself to slip to the third round. Uh, You might be able to get a first-round talent in the third round by just paying him $3 Three million dollars. You can't really do that quite as easily anymore. If you're losing your draft bonus pool money from your first-round pick that you had to give up to sign a free agent, so you know I think it's a, I think it's a really smart move uh, by MLB to attach those draft pick compensation, and especially the way it's it's set up now with the draft bonus pools, uh, because it's just another way for the for the owners to keep their costs down uh, on the on the free agent market.
0: Yeah, the the players' union should fight that. Though, while it might be smart for the owners, it's not smart for the players. Free agents should mean free. Once you're a free agent, you should be able to sign with any team without being hindered by a draft pick that might be attached to you.
1: Oh, absolutely, it's it's not good at all for uh, for the players, and it's probably something they should have thought about when they, you know, when they agreed to the collective bargaining agreement. So, you know, for for the owners, from MLB's perspective, it's it's. It's a really good thing, I think, because I think it allows them to keep the costs down and make more money. But, yeah, certainly from the player's perspective and from the union's perspective, it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a problem because the, the players aren't getting uh, their, their fair market value if they have that draft pick uh, and the draft pick bonus pool uh, money that's, that's being attached to them.
0: Last year, new draft rules went into place. What are your early impressions on the results?
1: Uh, you know, I, I think there's a lot of knee-jerk reaction that's, oh, well, uh, you know, we don't like the the new rules and things like that. But you know, I think in general, you saw the best players going to the teams with the highest picks, and I, I think you know, <laughs> having that first round be organized according to talent uh, is is uh, you know from a team perspective, that's, you know, that, that's the most important thing. Yeah, there's, you know, you see some goofy stuff go on in the, you know, the 6th to 10th round where teams are signing college seniors just to try to save money and, and sign them for, you know, $1,000 and use that bonus pool money to sign somebody, you know, in the 10th, the uh, you know, after the 10th round to to get somebody who slipped in the draft and, and try to pay them, with the money that you save in those, you know, six to 10th rounds, but uh, you know, it's not like, I, I think it's a lot, I think it's better than the system that was in place before where you have guys sort of dictating where they're going to go and, and falling in a draft to, you know, teams, uh, you know, at the, the end of the draft that uh, it, it doesn't really, it doesn't really do anything. It sort of defeats the purpose of uh, trying to have a draft for a competitive balance. Not that that's necessarily the reason for the draft, but, uh, the, the way the system is set up now is that the teams with the worst records are, are now getting the best players, uh, especially in the first round. Um, and I, I think that that's a, that's I think that's worked out pretty well for for the league.
0: One of the things that came from that that I like a lot is that they moved the signing deadline up for the uh, draft picks. When I think getting these kids into the system sooner helps everyone. That helps the players. It helps the teams. I think that's good for all.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you saw guys. Uh, you know, not just, you know, the, the, you know, the high school players like, uh, you know, like Carlos Correa or Byron Buxton going out and, and getting a lot of playing time. But, you know, now the college guys can go out and, and move up, you know, more quickly through the system and, and can reach the, the big leagues a little bit faster. Uh, so, so teams, you know, with the high school guys, they have a better sense of, you know, who they are and, and what they need to work with and the, and the coaching Uh, you know, the the player development staff on the coaching side knows these kids better, whereas before they were just, you know, coming in late, you know, signing August 15th, coming into Instructs, and and you don't really know them quite as well, and you still want to be, you know, pretty hands-off with them at that point, whereas, you know, now you get to see, the coaches get to see and the team get to know them for a couple of more months before Instructional League and before the winter program, so you can say, all right, well, here's some adjustments we might need to make, here's some things that, you know, we we can we can start doing and start getting these kids moving up the ladder a little bit more quickly.
0: One thing I never understand is why teams can't trade draft picks. What's MLB's reasoning behind that?
1: You know, I think part of that is they don't want they don't want te- they don't want the players to be able to start dictating where they're going go, uh, to go, you know, where they're going to go in the draft, which team is is going to take them in the draft. I think it's a way to keep down the leverage on the player. So I think if, if you ask scouts and, and teams, you know, the ones that are actually making the, the baseball decisions, I think a lot of them wouldn't mind being able to, you know, to trade draft picks and, and make, make their own decisions on, on that. But from the owner's perspective and, and the league's perspective, it's, it's a way to, to keep the leverage in the, away from the players because then they, you know, a player could, uh, you know, create a scenario where he sort of forces a team to trade its draft pick rather than uh, you know keep it, and I think it's just a way to to keep leverage away from from the players yet again.
0: Is there a bias against East Coast players with the draft? A few years ago, Mike Trout apparently slipped in the draft because he's from New Jersey. Is that bias real, and is it justified? Uh,
1: you know, it's it's just part of uh, it's it's part of the. The, it's part of scouting where the reality is in, in Florida, uh, you can you can see players pretty much year-round and, and get a, a lot of looks at them. Whereas, you know, I'm I'm here up in uh, Boston right now and I'm looking outside my window with uh, you know half a foot of snow that's still on the ground. So, you know, in a, in a case like Trout, you know, he's a guy who you know I think he's he's even the guys who liked him the most other than. Uh, the Angels. Even the guys who like them the most he's even better than, than they expected. But you know one of the problems when of of scouting him was there was just a lot of rain in New Jersey that year. Uh it's not, you know, trout's fault, it's not uh it's not any scouts fault. There's a lot of rain. They they had trouble, you know, seeing him a lot but uh but yeah you, you have you have fewer looks at those guys uh not just as an area scout but as a you know, as a cross-checker or as a scouting director who's, you know, going in and, and trying to schedule his time to maybe only get a, a few looks at those guys. So, you know, it just gives them. You can just give them fewer looks at, at players from the Northeast compared to, you know, Southern California or, or Texas or Florida, uh, or some of these other Southern states where where you can just you have more information on these guys. And you, if you see a guy more often, you're going to have more more confidence in in your evaluation on a guy. So. So yeah, I you know, just uh, just a natural byproduct that sort of works against players from uh, from the Northeast or any other cold weather state.
0: The WBC took place earlier in the spring. Do you think Major League Baseball is accomplishing what they want to with the tournament?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think it's you know it's it's giving them huge uh, huge TV ratings in countries like Japan uh, when Japan is playing or Korea, Taiwan. Uh, it's it's. And and the Dominican Republic too, in the files especially. So I I think it's it's accomplishing that. It's it's and it's good for growing the game in some of these smaller countries where baseball isn't quite as popular. I I shouldn't say a smaller country like China, but uh, you know, in terms of obviously not population, but uh, in terms of the. Uh, the baseball fandom in China. It, it really it's it's not non existent, but I mean for a country with, you know, more than a billion people, you would think, you know, you, you should be able to get some kind of baseball talent out of China. But, you know, you see the, the team that they put on the field and it's you know, it's a lot of guys throwing, you know, I think their best pitcher maybe touched eighty four miles an hour. It's a lot of, you know, five ten, five eleven guys weigh like a hundred 50, 180 pounds, not a lot of big bodies, not a lot of tools. But you can see over the last decade from talking to scouts who have been following, you know, the Chinese baseball program since MLB uh, got involved and has been bringing instructors. And, and China, you know, had some you know, relative success in, in the last two WBCs by, by winning a game in each one of those that, uh, you know, the level of fundamentals is, is improving over there. Uh, so you improve the level of fundamentals over there you improve the, the quality of players over there and then eventually you'll start getting the athletes that you see over there that are you know in track and field or, or involved in other sports in China you know that get the better athletes than baseball does and maybe all of a sudden a few of them say hey yeah this this baseball stuff is pretty cool I'm gonna I'm gonna try my hand at uh, you know playing some baseball and then all of a sudden, you get those guys in the system and start playing baseball and you know who knows maybe in 10 years maybe in 20 years we'll have a you know chinese baseball prospects maybe it know maybe they'll never uh, maybe they'll never be a really a source of production for for major league baseball talent but uh you, you can certainly see that it's it's improving and hopefully growing the level of interest in some of these countries where baseball historically has not been uh, a popular sport
0: how would you improve the tournament
1: one of the things I would do is, is when you had you know, I was in Fukuoka for uh, the first round in Japan. And when, when Japan was playing, that place was, the, the dome was, was fun. I mean, it was the, the Japanese fans get really into team Japan. It's, it's almost like being in a, like a college football arena, but with like a, a Japanese flavor to it where the fans are, are jumping up and down and they're, they're banging on the drums and they're cheering and they're singing. It's a fun environment when you're in when you're in that stadium and China is playing Cuba or Cuba is playing Brazil uh, I'm not exaggerating there were no more than a hundred fans in a stadium it was like completely dead so I would one of the things I would do is I would just give away tickets to those games where in Japan where, where Japan is not playing and, and get some kind of uh, an atmosphere in there that, that wasn't just like, all right, this is a spring training game in a dome. It basically felt like, uh, or a minor league spring training game in a dome, I should say, <laughs> um, because the the atmosphere was just dead. Uh, you know, the other thing I might I might also consider tweaking the pitch count rules. I think that should be up to up to the individual teams what they want to do. I, I realize that you know major league teams. Want to keep their guys on a, you know, on, on certain restrictions for, uh, you know, f- for their own considerations. And I understand that, and I understand that MLB wants to be uh, respectful of that. But you know, I think if you have a manager who's, who's willing to work with teams, there's really no ideal time of year to have a tournament. But if, if you're going to have an it March, it's going to be a, a reality. But as, as long as you have a manager who's uh, on the on Team USA who's willing to uh, to adhere to that, I don't think that you know Japan or Taiwan or some of these other countries uh, or Cuba, which you know is in the middle of its season. I don't see why they should be restricted to keeping their guys to to 75 or 90 pitches uh, in the first round or the second round, or, uh, or or having these restrictions put on their pitch counts just because uh, the the U.S. guys want that for, just because sort of the major league teams want that for their own players. I think it should be based on the and uh, every team should have their own choice to make on, on what they, how long to leave a pitcher out there for.
0: Ben, let's switch focus and let's talk about some of the top prospects around baseball and some of the prospects that might most help teams this year. Let's start with the AL East. Jackie Bradley has had a great spring for the Red Sox. Give me a scouting report on him.
1: Yeah, he, he's just a, a terrific defender and a, a very good offensive player, too. Um, you know, defensively, you know, what's interesting about him is he's not like a, he's not like a Carlos Gomez or, or even a Jacoby Ellsbury kind of burner in the outfield, but his instincts and the reads that he gets off the bat are just so good that he has you know, inc- incredible range, first step, uh, good arm. You know, defensively, I, I could see him winning a, a gold glove, Uh, within the next few years, he's he's that good of a defender, even without having premium speed, which is something that you usually need to have to be a premium defender in center field. Offensively, yeah. I mean, he's, he's had a huge spring training. Uh, I I would not want to keep him up right now on the major league team. I think he could use more time uh, in the minor leagues. I think he could hold his own fine uh, in the majors right now. He has a really good approach to hitting Really good strike zone management, good pitch recognition. You know, good hitter, not not a lot of power. It's probably below average power, but uh, he's a guy who could, you know, who could hit 300 in his prime and, and get a ton of walks for you, put up a high on base percentage. You know, I think it's probably in their better interest uh, for the Red Sox to keep him down for a few weeks and, and delay his service clock for another year. Uh, but but once he's up, yeah, I mean, this is a guy who's a, who could be other than power. You know, a, a pretty complete player.
0: And what about Xander Bogarts? Does he project long term as a shortstop?
1: If you look at the the body and the skills that he has right now, he could probably play shortstop. But with him, the the thing, the only thing that's going to keep him from playing shortstop and probably move over to, well, ideally third base. We obviously have Will Middlebrooks over there. Uh, but the, the thing with him is he's just going to get so much bigger and stronger that he's going to slow down, it's, it's going to take away from his range, and it's not really going to be an ideal fit at, at shortstop. You might be able to, to squeeze him in there. You're certainly not going to get plus defense out of him at, at shortstop. Right now you might be able to get you know average or a fringe average defense from him uh, at the shortstop position, but I don't think the bat is ready right now, and, and by the time the, the bat really is ready, Uh, And especially once he he gets into his prime, I think he's just going to be so big, uh, and he's just going to slow down, and that's going to really take away from his range and probably make him a better fit at at third base. But, I mean, offensively, he's got, you know, he could be a plus hitter with, or or better with, you know, probably plus-plus power. Uh, So you're talking about a guy who could be uh, a force offensively at at really any position you, you want to put him.
0: Is he the type of prospect that could net, a huge major league star in return, if put on the market, could the Red Sox get David Price or Troy Tulowitzki, someone that they might be looking for at the trade deadline? Some of those names that might be available.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna make a trade uh, and for a, a big time star, you know there, there aren't many guys in, in the minor leagues who'd be a better centerpiece than Xander Bogarts. But uh, I, I have a hard time seeing the Red Sox trading him. Uh, you know, if I, I, I could see them maybe trading somebody who's maybe more established like uh, Middlebrooks and then trying to put Bogarts in at at third base. But uh, I just have a hard time seeing Bogarts being traded from the Red Sox. But yeah, his his trade value would be uh, about as as high as anybody in the modern leagues.
0: Jose Iglesias is a guy that Red Sox fans have actually been hearing about for quite a bit of time. Everyone says the glove is legit, but the bat is not. Can he be Brendan Ryan? Is that his ceiling?
1: It's hard to see him hitting anywhere higher than... The ninth in in the lineup, it's you know is is it's not like it's a, a really long swing, but there's just very little uh, impact on the ball. Uh, it's it's hard to see him hitting much higher than you know two thirty two forty kind of hitter. It's not like he draws a lot of walks to get on base, and, and there's very little power there. I mean, defensively, his his hands are are, are incredible. He's got good range. He he's got a good arm. Uh, he's He's got a really quick action and a quick transfer. He does a lot of things really well defensively, but but yeah, offensively, it's just uh, he, he's he's got a long long way to go, and I just don't see a lot of uh, projection with a bat to to feel comfortable putting him in as, a, as an everyday guy uh, in the big leagues.
0: What can the Rays expect from Will Myers this year?
1: You know, I think he's he's a guy who last year he started to show more power than he ever had in the past, and it came at the expense of some, some swinging and missing, uh, whereas before he was a guy who was a really good hitter, had some solid you know power, but uh, was a, a great hitter with a, a great strike zone knowledge, good pitch recognition, didn't really swing and miss too much, uh, and he had some, some knee injuries, a knee injury that kind of sapped his power a little bit, but last year he just sort of went, you know, all out uh, swinging for the fences and, you know, the, the power really showed up. You know, this year, hopefully he can find, uh, you know, some balance between, you know, hitting for average and uh, and hitting for power, which, you know, I, I think he will do. And whether that comes this year or whether that comes in in a couple of years, where it might take him a couple of years to, to adjust to major league pitching. Uh, you know, I'm not really sure what's going to happen, but but ultimately, I think in the next couple of years, you're going to see this is a guy who can who can hit for average, who you know manages the strike zone well, who's so going to get on base, he's got you know well above average power too. So this is a guy who 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 really can be one of the better offensive players in, in baseball within the next few years.
0: Tampa has been excellent at uh, drafting and developing their own pitchers. Uh, what do you expect from Chris Archer this year?
1: And I think it all depends on his. Uh, fastball command. I mean, he's, he's got two pitches right now, uh, with his fastball and his, his slider, and he's got, to, you know, an improving changeup too. But the, that fastball and the slider especially are, are really, uh, you know, plus if, if not plus plus pitches for him. You know, where he gets in trouble is, is where he, uh, you know, he doesn't command his fastball and, and he he misses location, and then he gets himself in trouble, uh, or he starts to rely a little bit too heavily on a slider rather than getting ahead with his fastball and then trying to put hitters away with the slider. Uh, and what, he do, what he'll do sometimes is he'll try to get that you know that, that swing and miss with a slider on, uh, on strike one or, or, or early in the count, and then he falls behind the count, and then he all of a sudden has to throw the fastball when he's behind the count. He doesn't have great fastball command yet, and he'll, he might make a mistake, and, and uh, hitters can take advantage of him from there. Uh, so if, if his fastball command is, you know, major league average fastball command, uh, the stuff that he has, he, you know, he could be a potential uh, front-line starter for them.
0: The Baltimore Orioles seem to have two potential frontline starters in the minors with Dylan Bundy and Kevin Gossman. Uh, tell me a little bit about those two.
1: Yeah, I mean, Bundy is, Bundy is the best pitching prospect in baseball right now. He, he talks about a guy with three plus, two plus-plus pitches, a uh, really strong, well-conditioned athlete, great delivery, good command, uh, pretty much everything you could ask for in a pitching prospect. Uh, that's what Dylan Bundy has. And I, I could see him contributing right away uh, this year. I don't, I, he's not going to start in the major leagues, but uh, by mid-season, I, I could see him there. And, and within the next couple of years, this is the, this is the kind of guy who – should be contending for a Cy Young Award for them. Uh, Gossman is—he's not at the level of Bundy. Uh, I know some other scouts are, are, are higher on him uh, than I. He's—he's he's got talent. He has a really good fastball, uh, changeup combination. The, the concern with him is, as a right-handed pitcher who doesn't have a, uh, you know, an above-average breaking ball right now. It's—it's it's more of a, you know, an average kind of kind of breaking ball, which you know, he can get away with, with, with his fastball and, and, you know, and if his changeup's working and his command, uh, his fastball command is on. Uh, but, um, I'm not, I'm not sold yet that he has the, the breaking ball to be uh, a frontline starter in the big leagues, but, you know, between the fastball and, and the changeup, he, he already has two, you know, plus or, or better pitches.
0: Let's shift over to the AL central. Uh, the Tigers sent down Rondon today. Uh, do you think that's the right call?
1: Yeah, I I never really understood what all the buzz was about Rondon coming into the year as a, a potential closer for them. Uh, I really like Rondon, but the you know, even the guy throws a hundred miles an hour, and, and he's just an enormous human being. He's he's fun to watch pitch, but uh, you know we got to be realistic. The guy has work to do on his control. He, he's still uh, you know his slider has progressed, but he's still mostly just the, the fastball right now. And if, if you're getting behind in the count a lot, which which he's been doing, you know, hitters, I don't care if he's throwing 100 miles an hour, guys are going to, basically hitters all have uh, the bat speed to, to catch up to 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 that kind of pitch, especially if they know it's coming because you're behind in the count and all of a sudden you need to be able to throw strikes so he's going to throw his fastball instead of one of his off-speed pitches. So, yeah, he throws really hard. He's an exciting guy, but he still needs to work on on his control right now. And it's just not a guy who uh, you can trust in a, a high leverage situation to be able to close games for you. So, so yeah, he, I think the Tigers definitely made the right call, bringing him down and and making sure he gets some more time in the minor leagues to to iron out some of the, the things that he needs to to work on down there.
0: What do you expect from Trevor Bauer this year?
1: Kind of, kind of a mystery. I think probably too much was made last year of his struggles in the big leagues. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's his first year out of college and I think he threw maybe like 15 innings in the big leagues where he got hit around. You know, for one, most guys who are his age aren't even in the big leagues. And, and two, you know, he, he dominated through the minor leagues last year. I, th- I think there's maybe a little too much hype in terms of, oh, we need, a, we need to bring Trevor Bauer up now and He's ready now and when, when he's another guy who really wasn't ready to be called up just because his command wasn't there yet um, you know he's got he's got several pitches that could be you know plus or, or better pitches for him I think he has the potential to be a number one starter in the big leagues eventually but right now his his fastball command isn't there he's, he's got a lot, he's got work to do on his control if he can if he can get his control, I don't want to say under control, but if he can approve his control, uh, then that's going to allow him to to have a lot of success. But until he he does that, he's not going to be ready for the big leagues. Could he do that this year? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I could certainly see him making some strides uh, in that regard. I, I don't think he's too far off. I could see him being a, a, a big contributor for them this year. But uh, I think certainly within the next few years, the expectation, my expectation for him is, is to be, you know, a number one or a number two kind of starter in the major leagues.
0: Aaron Hicks won the starting center field job for the Twins. Tell me about him.
1: You know, he's a guy who's kind of been uh, kind of been hard to get a read on for the last few years. He he gets on base because he he's a very patient, almost almost a passive uh, approach. But the he's never really dominated some of the. The levels that he's been at, and and that's always been a, a concern with him. I mean, the guy's a, a great athlete. Uh, he's, he's got excellent tools. He can, you know, he can run. He can throw. Uh, he, he doesn't have the power yet, but um, he he's just never really took it over and, and dominated a league. Granted, he's been in some of the best pitchers' leagues in the minor leagues between the Midwest League or State League, the Eastern League. So you know, I think that's. Skewing some of his numbers a little bit, but I, I, he's kind of been a guy who's been hard to get for scouts to get a read on. I'm, I'm surprised he's been uh, uh, <clears throat> that he, he's, he sounds like he's going to start the, the season as, as the twin center fielder. But um, you know, he, he certainly has the talent and the athleticism uh, to make adjustments and make a, a sh- make strides in a, in a very short amount of time. Uh, so I, I, I could see him having a a big year for for the Twins uh, this year and becoming a you know a centerpiece for them in, in their lineup.
0: How about two guys that might be a little further away, Sano and Buxton? What can Twins fans expect from them?
1: Yeah, I mean, if you you ask me who the best power in, in the minor leagues right now, it's it's probably Michael Sano. That's um, it's a pretty easy swing. Uh, he does strike out a lot, but but the bat speed. And the raw power, you know, are, are at the top of the charts. Um, <laughs> if he can cut down, he does have some holes that he's going to have to cut down uh, on the strikeouts. But and that's that's not an easy thing to do. But the way his swing works, with the bat speed that he has, to be able to to compensate for uh, for some of those holes, um, you know, if he can just lay off. More of the pitches, you know that that off-speed stuff off the plate, and and take those pitches and then wait for that fastball that he can hit, uh, you know, about 450, 480 feet, and then he's gonna develop uh, into one of the more dangerous hitters, uh, in in the big leagues because he's he's already one of the more dangerous guys in the minor leagues to uh, to face, but yeah, and with Buxton, very different kind of guy. Very, very more, much more athletic, much, much better runner, uh, center field guy who can, uh, who can hit, doesn't have some nose kind of power, but, you know, built more along the lines of, uh, you know, an Andrew McCutcheon uh, type guy with, with, with more size, uh, you know, guy you can do, you know, he can, he can run, he can defend, uh, he can do some of the little things to, to get on base. Uh, he's not going to be a, a big power hitter, but. Uh, more of a multi-dimensional player than uh, than Sine will be.
0: The Rangers sent down Baseball America's number one prospect, Jerickson Profar. Uh, what do you expect from him this year, and how good will he eventually be?
1: Well, I, I think eventually this is a guy who could compete for uh, an MVP award. The, the the instincts that he has, uh, in addition to you know, I don't think the tools that he has are. You know, there's a lot of 70s or, or even like an 80 tool uh, on his scouting report. Other than maybe you know the bat could potentially be uh, a 70 tool, but uh, there, there's nothing physically about him that really is going to blow you away. Uh, but the, the whole package that he has, the instincts, the game awareness that he has, both in the field uh, and at the plate, are are about as good as you're going to find in a player, especially uh, at, at that age. So, you know, you look at his swing, it's it's a very, you know, crisp, efficient swing, very good approach to the plate. guy who could hit, you know, 300 or better, get on base a lot. I think the power is going to uh, continue to grow for him. I don't think he's going to be a 25 to, to 30 home run guy, but he'll you know, probably get 15 to, to 20 home runs in his prime. You know, this year you might want to temper expectations for him. You know, he, he's not as physically developed as a guy like Bryce Harper uh, or Mike Trout, uh, guys like those were last year. So I don't expect him to come in and, and put up that kind of uh, a rookie impact at his age. Uh, but he, he's a guy who, you know, with the the, the roster the Rangers have now, it, it's hard to, to squeeze him in there. But you know, if an entry comes up, there's there's a few different places where they could uh, plug him in, I could see him having a you know a solid rookie year, and then a few years from now, really. Know, breaking out and becoming, uh, you know, a star in, in the game.
0: There was some talk earlier in spring training about possibly moving him to second base, moving Kinsler over to first or to the outfield. Would moving a prospect like Profar off of his natural position hurt his development?
1: You know, I think it would. They, they see him some time at second base. Might even see a little bit of time at third base. I think that actually uh, that that could help guys because it gives them a better appreciation for, you know if they need to in a pinch, go over to the second base, or if that's just, you know, Andrus is healthy and, you know, they have a need at second base for, for whatever reason or, or at third base, you know, Beltray goes down or something, you know, mm-hmm. then he has that comfort level and that familiarity to be able to, to go in there uh, with some the experience of the position rather than going in there cold and trying to, you know, to learn it on the fly. I don't think it takes, you know, that many game repetitions to, to pick up uh, the position if you're a guy who can handle shortstop, especially somebody who can handle it as well as Profar can. But but there's some subtle differences the way, you know, the footwork is around the bag at second base uh, or at third base or, or how you need to position yourself or, or how quickly the ball gets on you, how to take certain grounders to your left or to your right uh, or, or to let them go through, things like that. But, but giving them a, a little bit of... Uh, experience some of these other positions, I, I think that only uh, helps the guy out. I mean, you don't want to put a guy who is a natural shortstop and, and have him play, you know, 70 or some some 80% of his games at second base when you think the future is a shortstop. But, you know, giving him a little bit of time at, at some of these other positions, I think, is uh, is beneficial for
0: him. Are any of the Mariners' young pitchers ready to make the jump and tribute this year?
1: Yeah, I, I think they have uh, a few guys who you could, possibly see in the second half uh, you know the big one is uh, Taiwan Walker his uh, you know power stuff but uh, you know another guy who you know, we' talked about this uh, about a few guys on on the program today but uh, just the, the command needs to improve uh, you know once he once he can' I think he can but you know improve his, his fastball command I think he will uh, he certainly has the uh, stuff to to do it uh, but you have guys like him or, or James Paxton excuse me, James Paxton uh, it's the same thing, plenty of stuff. But you know, once the the command, especially the fastball command, comes around, that's what's going to enable these guys to be ready and, and be able to contribute to the to the major league team.
0: Moving over to the National League, Julio Tehran made the Braves rotation. Give me a scouting report on him.
1: One of the impressive things about him is is what he went and did uh, starting this this winter in the Dominican League. I was talking to. His, uh, his manager, Mike Guerrero, there. And he, he, he was uh, he was very, very impressed with uh, Teron. And, you know, I always take it with a little bit of, you know, grain of salt, obviously, at his manager. He, he's talking about him, and he's, he's going to say good things. But um, but he really was impressed with what he did, and, and it showed in the numbers, and it, it showed uh, just from watching him play. And, and it sounds like this spring training, he's, he's taking another step forward. You know, we'll see. I, I want to see him do it in, in a game. Uh, in regular season games against major league hitters, but uh, you know he's got he's got a good fastball. He's got a really good changeup, but I think for whatever reason that somehow gets uh, lost in, in the talk about him. Uh, but he's he's I mean I saw him when he was a, an 18 year old in, in rookie ball, and he's he's always got a really good changeup. You know the, the one of the the two things for him are you know can he be more consistent with his breaking ball, which is always tough. To do, but uh, and and he's always and he's never he's he's been able to throw strikes, but he's never really had great fastball command. Uh, But it sounds like that's really taken a step forward uh, this winter, and then something that he's carried over into the spring. So if he can do that, you know, stay ahead of hitters, he's got good stuff to be able to finish him off, especially with his changeup. Uh, I don't think he's going to be you know a number one ace starter, but you know I could see him being a, a solid number three. Maybe even a, a number two starter in, in the big leagues.
0: Uh, the Mets acquired Travis Darnaud in the Ra Dickey deal. Is he ready to contribute now? And how about Zach Wheeler as well? I
1: think I, I think that he is ready to contribute right now. But it's it's always hard to tell uh, with catchers. and I mean, you saw uh, a couple of years ago with Matt Wieters, where he was going to be the, the savior of <laughs> of the Orioles franchise and, and maybe even just baseball in general. Uh, there's huge expectations, <laughs> of him. and he comes in, and you know, he's a solid player, but he's not dominating the world like everybody uh, seemed to think he would immediately. Or you know, Devin Mezzarocco last year with with the Reds, guy who had great numbers in in Double A and and dominated up to the high minors, and then you know it's 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 hard to come up to the major leagues and. Have to handle all the responsibilities that go into handling a major league pitching staff that you know you're probably not even used to handling before, and then oh by the way, also you know hit at a at a high level against major league pitching too. Uh, you know Buster Posey made it look easy, but that's really more the the exception to the rule. So yeah, just from seeing Darno, his talent and and the and the performance that he's put up. I want to say he's ready, but I would I would temper those expectations just based on, you know, the all that goes into pitching. Uh, Zach Wheeler, same thing with Taiwan Walker, same thing with some of these other guys. Uh, Frontline stuff, but again, with him, it's about fastball command. I don't think it's ready quite yet. I think he needs more time in the minor leagues. You know, if it's if if it's June or July, and he's got that tightened up, yeah, absolutely, I could see him. Uh, coming up to, to New York and, and making an impact for them, but, but he's still got some work to do on his fastball command right now.
0: The Marlins' major league team is a mess, but they do seem to have some elite prospects. Tell me about Fernandez and Yelich.
1: Yeah, those, those are two really, really exciting guys for them. Uh, yeah, I think I called Bundy the, the best pitching prospect in the minor leagues before. Um, you know, If it wasn't for Bundy, I'd probably throw that label on, on Fernandez. Uh, power, power stuff really sharp breaking ball guy who, you know, obviously his fastball command still needs worth. He's, he's only pitched in the lower minors, but I think he has the stuff to be a, a number one starter. Uh, misses bats at, at an electric rate. Uh, you know, there's some concern about his body that I don't really uh, share. I don't think that matters too much. He's gonna, I think he's going to repeat his delivery just fine and be a durable guy. And, and be a frontline starter for them eventually. And then Jelic is just a guy who's a, just a very smooth, polished hitter, really good approach to hitting. Uh, not, not the prototypical power that you're going to want uh, right now out of a corner outfielder, but I think he has the room. I think he has the room in his frame to, uh, to fill out and, and add strength and, and add some power down the road, but just a really smooth, uh, Paul Schitter, who, who really knows what he's doing up, to the, up there at the plate.
0: Uh, moving over to the NL Central, the Cardinals always seem to develop players and players that contribute to the roster. Shelby Miller was given the fifth starting spot in the rotation. Trevor Rosenthal might actually close this year with uh, Jason Mott getting injured. And Oscar Tavares is waiting in the wings. Tell me about all three of those guys.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's that's why they have the best farm system in baseball. Uh, and they, just, they have impact talent, and they have... Uh, they have a depth too with of of impact guys. You know, Tavares is gonna be I don't know exactly how they're gonna fit him in, but I, I think they're gonna find a way because on a lot of teams he'd be he'd be their starting, you know, left fielder or, or right fielder on opening day. Uh guy who rarely swings and misses is is bad head is just, you know, stays in the hitting zone for a long time, so it's it's hard to uh, to pitch to him, he doesn't have a lot of holes. And then last year, his power really took off. So you're talking about a guy who is going to be hitting over 300 with uh, with a lot of power. That's, that's going to be a dangerous guy for, for anyone to pitch to. Uh, and and there just aren't going to be many ways to, to try to get him out. Um, you know, Miller struggled early last year, but, but really turned it around. Um, I think he's still, you know, once he's healthy, he's, he's going to be uh, – you know, a potential frontline starter for them. And then Rosenthal, I'm not sure the, the role, uh, either shorter or long term, that they're going to use him in, but I, I've always thought he's one of the more underrated uh, pitching prospects in the minor leagues. And I think he's starting to show why. You know, he's a guy who he can really run his fastball up there and, and has a, a pretty good idea of, of what he's doing on the mound. You know, if, if they want, I think both of the, that Miller and uh, Rosenthal could be frontline guys for them, but you know, if, if need be, uh, you know, Rosenthal has the stuff to to be a closer as well.
0: How about the Pirates pitchers in Cole and uh, Tyon?
1: Yeah, I think uh, I think those are another two, two of the better pitching prospects in baseball. I don't see I, there's some guys that see Cole as a, a number one starter. I don't I don't see the, the just the way that he delivers the ball. I, I think hitters have an easier time seeing it out of his hand than the pure stuff might suggest I mean but between the fastball the breaking ball the change of it's all you know plus or better stuff so you think wow you know and he's throwing strikes this guy should be an one starter but for, for whatever reason just, just the way I think he delivers the ball it, there's not quite as much deception in his delivery so hitters have an easier time to get the ball out of his hand and, Can
0: that be corrected?
1: Uh, it, it can be It can you can, you can make some alterations but the thing is he's had so much success and when you start, you know, messing with one thing in a delivery, you might take away from this stuff and I think guys in general are are just risk averse to trying to change a guy and, and, and understandably so, I mean it's not like he's really faced uh, you know, I, I could be wrong and, and the majority of scouts could be right that he, he is gonna be a a number one starter I, I still think he's gonna be you know, a very good major league starter. But I, I just think that hitters have a, an easier time seeing the ball out of his hand compared to some other guys. That said, you know, even if you see it out of his hand, it's <laughs> whether he's going to throw you a 97 mile an hour fastball or a nasty slider that breaks off the plate or, or a change up with, you know, good, you know, sink and fade. It's still hard to, <laughs> it's not easy to, you know, just turn him around and square it up. Cause he does have some really good pitches. So, you know, to to start altering with him or tweaking him, uh, you know, maybe down the road, if he doesn't, if he, if he struggles, that might be something that they look into, but for now, I don't see any reason to, to start changing the guy. Um, then with Tyone, you know, another guy who really, really good stuff. Um, another guy who is, is, uh, Uh, You know, really good fastball. I I, I like his breaking ball too. Uh, Really, just electric stuff, and and another potential frontline guy for them.
0: How about Jorge Soler with the Cubs?
1: Yeah, I mean, I really, really like uh, Jorge Soler. I remember hearing about him when he was still uh, when he was still in Cuba, and he was uh, an 18-year-old for their junior national team, and he went to a tournament in Canada, and just uh, he dominated there. He showed. I don't want to say five tools, but you know, he showed just explosive bat speed, huge raw power. I mean the guy was like 6- three. I want to say you know 200 pounds at a time. He's blown up since then. Uh, he ran well for his size. He still does defensively. He's got to work on his, his routes in the outfield. but I think that's just going to come with experience. experience. You know Mike Stanton had the same thing and now he's one of the best defensive right fielders in baseball. But, uh, you know, he runs well for his size. He's got a good arm. And at the plate, what what separates him is he doesn't just have great bat speed and, and power. Uh, you know, Vicieto has great bat speed and, and power, too. But what separates Torres Solaire, I think he just has a really – he has a very good approach to the plate. He, he doesn't chase much out of the strike zone. He's got a, a good swing. You know, there's some length and, and there's a couple – Things in the swing that are not unorthodox, but uh, he can be pitched to. Maybe that he's going to have to tighten up a little bit. But uh, other, I mean, it's just I don't see any major flaws uh, in his swing or, or his offensive game. I think there's a guy who's going to get on base at a high clip and, and hit you, you know, 25 plus home runs per year. Uh, and uh, and eventually, once the defense, uh, once the defensive routes and and reads off the bat come around really become a, a very complete right fielder.
0: In the National League West for the Dodgers, Yaziel Puig made a lot of noise this spring. Uh, tell me a bit about him.
1: He was the guy who, you know, Solaire, he never played in Cuba's top league. And, but, but scouts had a lot of opportunities to see him. They saw him at the international tournament, and they saw him training in the Dominican Republic. You know, there were teams that had you know 100 plus at bats of uh, you know live in in person looks at Soler, so they felt very comfortable with him. With Clee, he did play. He, he did he did play and have you know one really good season in Cuba. But scouts aren't going into Cuba and evaluating players in uh, in person, obviously. So they had uh, they had a couple of, of international tournaments where he played. And then he, when he left Cuba, he didn't really. He had one very brief uh, workout where he didn't really even face live pitching. So there were a lot more question marks on plead, uh, especially because when he left, he wasn't really in baseball condition anyway. So when the Dodgers threw 42 million at him, it was like, whoa! How can you, <laughs> how can you justify giving this guy 42 million dollars off of? very, very limited looks when, you know, Yohannes Cespedes didn't even get that kind of money, and he was a top player in Cuba in his prime, uh, been seen all all over at, at tons of international tournaments, uh, a long trekker, track record in Serie Nacional in Cuba's top league, uh, and, and Soler, even though he didn't have that kind of track record, you know, guys had seen him a lot more, and the, the talent there was obvious. Uh, with Puig, it, it, was a, it was a lot more divisive, uh, you know, he had dominated the, the youth leagues in Cuba growing up, but, um, but there really wasn't as much information on him uh, for, for scouts to see. Now he's obviously making a pretty big impression in spring training. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, there, people are getting a little bit carried away with him right now. You look at what he did in spring training, and it's, it's great for, for 20, 25 games or whatever uh, the sample was. You know, you look at what he did in, in Puerto Rico in the winter league there, and he you, you could barely hit there. And that was for another 20, 25-game sample. So, you know, I don't think either of them is, is that important. But I don't think that just because he went out and dominated in uh, spring training that he's this, you know, super elite prospect, you know, any more than his you know, struggles in Puerto Rico means that he, he can't hit her or anything like that. But, you know, he, he does have tools. He has bat speed. He's, he's got power. He, he runs pretty well for his size uh but uh i think uh, i think we need to we need to see a lot more of him to be able to uh to get a better gauge of of, of his talent level uh before we start to anointing him as their uh as, as the uh the next big thing
0: yeah and the zero walks is uh, cause for concern and certainly a reason to send him to the minors
1: yeah i mean that's you know one of the concerns of him was his uh was his hitting approach which which is hard to to gauge also when when you haven't been able to to see him that much uh you know it's, it's hard to criticize a guy obviously for not walking when he's uh, uh you know hitting over 500 because you know the results are there but, but yeah i mean the approach is uh is something that we probably need to see a little bit more of before we start making some uh, some some sweeping uh, uh proclamations for him
0: the NOS doesn't have the uh elite level prospects that the other divisions do is there anyone else in the division that you think might make an impact this year
1: Well, I know there's some some talk about Nolan Arenado possibly uh, coming up this year and and helping out the Rockies. You know, I I could see that possibly happening, but I'd really like to see him spend more, uh, really, ideally the full season in the the minor leagues. For one, I don't think uh, Colorado is going to be contending in the NL West this year. And, uh, you know, I really like – I really like Arenado as a, a prospect. I think he's got great back control, uh, really good barrel awareness, and I think the power eventually is, is going to come with him, and he's, he's improved as a defender at third base. But I, I still think he needs a, 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 probably another full year uh, in the minor leagues. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised. He's a guy who I could see you know, if, if more strength comes, and, and he's, he's put in work this offseason, and he just takes off this year. I could see him. Uh, taking off and, and being ready to contribute this year. But I think most likely he's, he's still going to need another year uh, to develop in, in, uh, uh, in the minor
0: leagues for them. Ben, we've been pretty positive throughout the entire interview. Let's take it down a notch. Let's be negative for a second. What high-end prospect do you think is most likely to be a bust?
1: So the one guy who gets uh, a lot of attention because he was a uh, high draft pick and, and a two-sport guy in high school and got a lot of money on the draft is uh Bubba Starling. But, you know, I I have seen Bubba Starling play and and yeah, he is a great athlete and he runs really well, especially for his size. He's like six four, six five, uh very projectable frame, uh play you know, he can play good defense, runs well, throws well, he's got raw power. I don't know that he can hit. <laughs> and that is a concern for me. It's not like, and I don't see him being one or two tweaks away from unlocking his potential. Uh, you know, he's got bat speed, and, and that can make up for for some mechanical flaws, but I just, I see a lot of length in the swing. I don't see a lot of pitch recognition there. And, yeah, you know, I, I can see what the, the some of the raw tools there, but I just raw tools don't don't really do it for me. Uh, yeah, I need to see more, more, more instincts, more hitting acumen than, than he's shown, and and just a better a better swing. And right now, I think there's just too many red flags, too much swing and miss right there uh, for me to uh, to get on the the Bubba Starling bandwagon right now.
0: Never invest in a guy named Bubba. It always seems like a bad idea.
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess I uh, get the, what Bubba Nelson and some of the other guy. Yeah, it, it just hasn't worked out so well.
0: You've been listening to Ben Badler. Ben is a writer for Baseball America. You can give him a follow on Twitter at Ben Badler. That's B-A-D-L-E-R. Ben, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. Oh, thanks
1: for having me on.